Welcome back to the Mellow Mama podcast where I talk all things conscious living and conscious respectful parenting with the help of lots of great books, resources, and of course, my own experience as a mom. If you're new here, what's up? I'm Kate and today we're going to dive into discussion around the ego, what it is, where it comes from, and how it's affecting your relationships today, particularly the parent-child relationship that you're experiencing if you're a mommy or a daddy. And you might be thinking to yourself, you know, this is a parenting platform. What does ego have to do with raising your children in a more conscious, respectful way? Why are you not talking about like specific scripts and specific scenarios and how to handle certain things? Um, But I really believe that the ego is actually at the root of all of our interactions, of all of our interpretations of our child's behavior, of our own behavior, and the awareness that we can develop around it that I personally believe is a requirement to practice conscious parenting for real, to practice conscious living for real. You have to develop this deeper awareness as to why you do the things that you do. And the ego, this sort of protective barrier is in our way all all the time if we are unaware of it. So acknowledging it, understanding what it is and where where it's derived is the key to implementing any further instructions you find from me or any other resource out there on how to actually handle challenging things that arise in your relationships moving forward. I think this is the foundation to build everything else on. And if you take my course, you'll find that this is where we really begin. In fact, I actually have some course updates coming soon. If you're not a course student yet, or you are an existing course student, be looking forward to a deeper dive into the ego, the pain body, similar to the discussion we're going to have today, but again, much more intimate and streamlined and applicable to you and your personal experience. But for now, this episode will be a great introduction or reintroduction to the ego for all of you listening. Let's go ahead and define the ego. And there are so many ways you could describe this. You know, you could just say it's simply the self-identity that we construct based on all of our life experiences combined. It's designed to keep you safe. You know, our brain is designed for survival, not for us to Matthew McConaughey, L-I-V-I-N, right? Our brain is designed to keep us safe for security, for, again, surviving, not thriving necessarily. And so what we do is we accumulate all of the past emotional pain and positive and negative experiences and construct this little concept of what's going to keep us safe and hold it in the back of our subconscious mind. And it basically shapes all of our thoughts, all of our actions, our beliefs, our emotions, and mostly the reactive patterns that we identify with most strongly. That is the ego. I like this excerpt from Eckhart Tolle's book, A New Earth, that says, in most cases, when you say I, it is the ego speaking, not you as we have seen. It consists of thought and emotion, of a bundle of memories you identify with as me and my story, of habitual roles you play without knowing it, of collective identifications such as nationality, religion, race, social class, or political allegiance, 
It also contains personal identifications, not only with possessions, but also with opinions, external appearance, long-standing resentments or concepts of yourself as better than or not as good as others, as a success or failure. The content of the ego varies from person to person, but in every ego, the same structure operates. In other words, egos only differ on the surface, deep down, they're all the same. In what way are they the same? They live on identification and separation. When you live through the mind-made, self-comprised of thought and emotion that is the ego, the basis for your identity is precarious because thought and emotion are by their very nature fleeting. So every ego is continuously struggling for survival, trying to protect and enlarge itself. Again, that's Eckhart Tolle's work, A New Earth, which I'm going to be referring to that over and over again throughout this episode. If you are not a reader, this is the one book I think I'm like, please read this. I think it's going to transform your relationships and the way that you interact in the world and just bringing more consciousness to your daily life. I, I really believe that this is, again, the foundation. But Anyway, let's talk about that last sentence, that every ego is struggling to protect itself, to survive, to enlarge itself. This is such great news, in my opinion, especially if you're somebody that's already interpreting this conversation from a place of the ego, right? You're, you're listening and you're thinking, I don't have the ego, that doesn't exist in me, or like, at least I don't feel, I'm not an egoic person, I don't function in that way. Well, surprise, that's the ego trying to protect you, your identity as a good person, a balanced person, a peaceful person. Your, your identification with those things makes you feel good, worthy of connection, worthy of love and acceptance. And so you grip so tightly to them. And that little gripping is the ego. And you see how it's sort of self-sabotaging growth of this sort of also ease and lightness in life. I think that when we acknowledge that all egos are struggling to survive and always gripping onto anything that's going to help them enlarge themselves we can sit back and laugh at the entire thing, <laughs> at what it's like to be human, how vulnerable we are, and how seriously we take everything, right? And how tightly we grip onto anything that's going to provide us with this false sense of security and safety. I say that it's great news that every ego is struggling to survive and find any way that it can grow itself because that means that once we're aware of it, that as we move into this deeper state of consciousness as people, as a society, we can not necessarily eliminate the ego, but free ourselves from it. We don't have to operate in this way anymore. We don't have to be controlled by the thoughts that we have. We can acknowledge that we are the one thinking the thoughts <laughs> and we have the ability to step back, again, develop awareness and say, where, where are these thoughts coming from? Where are these insecurities stemming from? What am I so afraid of? Well, in order to understand our deeper rooted insecurities, our fears, we first have to understand our ego. What is it comprised of? What is the identity that we are trying to uphold? 
Who are we saying that we are? What is the role that we play or the many roles that we play on a daily basis? And are we scared that someone is going to take down the mask, take, uh, unfold our sort of perfectly curated sense of self, our identity? I think it's really interesting that, and obviously this isn't going to be information that applies to everyone or resonates with everyone, but Eckhart really refers to Jesus a lot in his book, A New Earth. And I think it's interesting if you are someone who's a Christian and you're familiar with, I think it's it's in Matthew when Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me or to follow me, he must deny himself. And not to make this into some sort of religious discussion, but I think that it's an interesting concept to say they need to deny themselves to basically find peace, to follow peace. Because to me, Jesus is like the symbol of peace, of serenity and surrender, which really is what denying the ego and freeing yourself from the ego looks like. You have to deny the self, this concept of self that you've constructed in order to free yourself from all of the suffering that comes as a result of gripping onto it. When we when we hold so tightly onto the ego and allow it to run our days without even noticing, we do create so much suffering for ourselves. But when we step aside and we say, I'm not the thoughts, I am the thinker, I'm going to eliminate the sense of self, this identity that I've created and that other people have sort of rolled out for me. I have, I've mentioned a couple of times this sort of, uh, what did I call it? The worthiness blueprint, right? Our, our parents roll this blueprint out for us and say, this is what it means for you to be worthy of love and connection and acceptance. And you need to live up to all of these expectations. And if you don't live up to these expectations or other people that you see in life are not living up to our expectations, our idea of what it means to be a lovable, good, worthy of connection and acceptance person, then they, you are better than them. We create this, again, hierarchy, the system of above or below. In fact, I can use an Eckhart Tolle example in this very chapter where he's referring to this. He says, Jesus referred to it when he said, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? At the other end of the scale, there is a physical violence between individuals and warfare between nations. In the Bible, Jesus' question remains unanswered, but the answer is, of course, because when I criticize or condemn another, it makes me feel bigger superior. And what does feeling bigger, superior do for us? It makes us feel more security. It makes us feel like we are more likely to survive. And so we think that this is a necessity, you know, we got to develop this mindset or these mindsets. But but really they're sabotaging us from acquiring and experiencing peace in our day-to-day lives. So let's take a look at these interruptions from peace, this self-sabotage. What does the ego look like in real time? That way, when it is around, when it is showing up in your life, in your reactions, your behavior, or your emotional state, you can say, huh, that's the ego. There it is. There she blows. You can catch that voice in the head and notice 
that you're not the voice, but the one who's aware of it. In fact, you are the awareness that is aware of the voice. (laughs) And you can free yourself from operating as a result of whatever the voice is saying or however they're reacting to life. In fact, I love this Eckhart Tolle quote that says, see if you can catch yourself complaining in either speech or thought about a situation you find yourself in, what other people do or say, your surroundings, your life situation, even the weather. To complain is always non-acceptance of what is. It invariably carries an unconscious negative charge. When you complain, you make yourself into a victim. When you speak out, you're in your power. So change the situation by taking action or by speaking out if necessary or possible. Leave the situation or accept it. All else is madness. And I like to point out here too that sometimes even speaking out is really just the ego if it's not actually changing, literally changing a situation or a circumstance. People talk, 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 talk all the time. And it's just ego. It's just them trying to live up again to this identification of their perception of a good person, a person with good moral standing and whatever. Like, it's just more role playing and them feeding the ego, enlarging it, right? Like getting it to grow and grow like a little, I don't know, what are those? Tamagotchis or whatever. I I don't even know if that's relevant. I don't even remember if my like does the Tamagotchi grow? Anyway, you know what I'm saying, right? Notice yourself. Notice the complaints that you have, the the commentary, the inner commentary, this inner voice that you have, and what is it saying? Is this positive? Is this creating victimization? for yourself or for others that's not actually serving anyone because that is also the ego and we're going to get to that but I like that he just says leave the situation or accept it all else is madness acceptance and surrender are huge parts of freeing yourself from the ego as well but again let's move on you know in complaining I like he kind of brings a lot of clarity um In this same chapter, complaining is not to be confused with informing someone of a mistake or a deficiency so that it can be put right. And to refrain from complaining doesn't necessarily mean putting up with bad quality or behavior. There is no ego in telling the waiter that your soup is cold or needs to be heated up. If you stick to the facts, which are always neutral. (laughs) I love this example. How dare you serve me cold soup? That's complaining. There's a me here that loves to feel personally offended by the cold soup and is going to make the most of it. A me that enjoys making someone wrong. The complaining we're talking about is the service of the ego, not of change. Sometimes it becomes obvious that the ego doesn't really want change so that it can go on complaining. I'm sure you know somebody in your life, and it might even be you, that falls into that category. unfortunately and again I love how like this actually genuinely makes me laugh to think about because it's just it's just so silly these are just reactions that we have and like compulsive habitual reactions to strengthen the ego but that's all that it is it doesn't it's not a character flaw it's not you being a bad person or this person being the worst because I know and like you know, you think of like a Karen. This is like a Karen, okay? They're, it's just the ego. Like they should sort of just be laughed at. And not in a, again, not in an egoic way, but like in a, how silly. 
like why why do we need to create this sense of self-importance and, and identification in order to feel like we're surviving like come on you're you're not in, baby you gotta relax <laughs> we gotta stop taking it so seriously in order to feel important and to feel like you can survive it's just so goofy and it's not just the Karens. We all complain about things all the time, especially internally, especially if you're somebody that's like working on your consciousness, trying to build this awareness around the ego. You might not be like an outward complainer. You might notice people that complain a lot and be like, geez, that just feels super icky to be around. Like just has that unconscious negative charge. But you might also complain about the fact that that person is really negative that's the ego you're creating again this hierarchy and it's just it's it becomes such a fun game to notice all the ways that the ego shows up in your daily life and complaining is not only one of the major ways that it does but it's also one of the greatest things to eliminate from your life if you want to feel better right now Notice the ways that you complain, whether internally or externally, how often this is happening and what you can actually do or can you change the situation? I always say as a parent, model being a solution-based thinker. We're not going to dwell on what happened and the problem. What is the solution? What can we do to be present right now, to have peace right now? Eckhart moves from complaining and resentments into the stronger, more amplified versions of those and the next ways that the ego might be showing up in your day-to-day -day life to sabotage your inner and outer peace. And those stronger forms of complaining and resentment look like reactivity and grievances. And I love that he says there are many people always waiting for the next thing to react against, to feel annoyed or disturbed about, and it never takes long before they find it. I swear, I laugh so hard reading this book. <laughs> and maybe it's just because like we all know and even love these people living in the ego. And it might even just be like recognizing it in yourself, right? Um, but Anyway, he says, this is an outrage. They say, how dare you? I resent this. They're addicted to upset and anger as others are to a drug. Through reacting against this or that, they assert and strengthen their feeling of self. I want you to ask yourself right now if you fall into this category without even realizing it. I think that social media and the media in general here in the United States really encourages this state of being. Well, not really being <laughs> present, but of just operating in the waiting for the next thing, searching for the next thing to be offended by, to strengthen the ego, to strengthen this sense of self, right? We might scroll and scroll through all of these accounts that are pointing out super negative, biased, divisive statements, ideas, ideologies, um, just like pointing out how horrible this is. Or can you believe this? Oh my gosh, what an outrage. How disturbing, how disgusting, right? Like this, I have never seen, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm 30, I'm a, I'm a mommy, like maybe that's why I'm, I'm a target audience <laughs> for, for the outrage. Um, but I think that I've just never seen it at such a, at such a climax, right? Like I feel like we are in a time where everybody is just so ready to be offended or disturbed by something and it's like constantly flooding in and it's almost like hard to avoid. You've basically got to be like 
hyper aware of it and be like, oh, moving on past that. Like I'm not going to engage with things that again are setting me up to be in a reactive um, and almost into the next part, the, the grievance state. Eckhart Tolle states here, a grievance is a long-standing resentment. To carry a grievance is to be in a permanent state of against. And that's why grievances constitute a significant part of many people's ego. Collective grievances can survive for centuries in the psyche of a nation or tribe and fuel a never-ending cycle of violence. This concept of, again, us versus them like the otherness concept, the hierarchy concept, it actually encourages so much violence. And because when we're unconscious about this whole thing, first of all, but when we start to work in and operate in this system of believing that they are separate from us, we are better than them, you can easily do harm to others with this mindset. You can start to, again, it erases their humanity. And so you can literally think or do like that anything is feasible because again, they are the enemy. Um, this, uh, this very subject I talk about a lot as a parenting coach and especially like in my coursework and all of the things that I share as a whole, this is kind of a general theme that when when you start to, for example, with children, view them as beneath you, it sort of opens up the gate to treat them in ways that are inhumane, unethical, and downright evil sometimes. People believing that it is okay and not just okay, but encouraged to physically harm other people. When you are driven to violence, you have to ask yourself, what about my behavior is conscious and not rooted in fear for survival? You believe that your child is, is threatening your ability to survive and thrive. You need to physically harm them. You need to move into not flight, not fawn, not freeze, but fight mode to sort of, in your subconscious mind, protect yourself. I mean, you just need to be honest with yourself and ask, does this make any sense at all? And on a grander scale, moving out of the parent-child dynamic where we normalize, again, saying that our child is not equal to us in in value as a human being and they they are to be treated like they are beneath us like we do own them like a slave you can you can hurt something that you own you can you can do damage and and lack awareness and consciousness around the way you interact with something that you own um they're no longer a person an individual a, a soul right, that is, again, of equal value to you, uh, the same thing on a grander scale exists everywhere. We feel like when we create this otherness dynamic, this superiority, inferiority dynamic in every shape and size on, again, an individual scale, on a global societal scale, in different cultures, in different countries, everywhere, we can inflict harm. We can create suffering and not just within ourselves because it is not, when you're, when you're operating this way and, and viewing all of the, the things that you can't stand, that you hate, that you're disgusted by in another person, in another group of people, 
and and you're just so fixated on that guess what you're not doing not living in your light you're not living in the present you're not shining that your your radiance that like your purpose for living at all it is actually taking that from you and some people even get as far into certain ideologies and again this otherness concept that they'll even think that that is their purpose to hate other people to hate certain things to hate certain behavior as opposed to focusing on themselves and saying how do i make the world brighter better more loving how do i show up in a way that inspires other people to again be their 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 best to again like exemplify a more loving rooted grounded present existence and there are so many there's there so many takes on this that could be turned right back into um ego where we could attach this very thought to all different again ideologies of belief systems and and you might even be doing that right now as i'm saying that like yes this is exactly why i stand for x y or z and this attachment that you have to a certain um belief or belief system or political ideology it's just so interesting once we start to dig deeper and and build this awareness around again our complaints our reactions our grievances and what they're attached to what do we think that we are protecting and why do we think we need to take such extreme measures and extreme behaviors to do harm to other people in order to to maintain again this self image it's it's all just so fascinating so ask yourself again am i do i fall into that category wow because it's it's mostly all of us um and then of course i love that eckhart actually acknowledges once you know later on in this book you might be past all of that and then you might have developed ego about the fact that you're past all of it <laughs> I think he has an example of a man riding his bike that has no possessions, um, judging a man in like a fancy sports car, like, uh -huh. like he, I'm so enlightened, like he needs that to feel good about himself. Meanwhile, he's judging the man in the car, right? So it just, it's a never ending growth process to start observing yourself and the way that you respond to life and react to life and situations and ideas and people. Um, and I like here that he says it requires honesty to see whether you still harbor grievances, whether there's someone in your life that you've not completely forgiven, an enemy, so to speak. And if you do, become aware of the grievance both on the level of thought as well as emotion. Be aware of the thoughts that keep it alive and feel the emotion that is the body's response to those thoughts. Don't try to let go of the grievance. Trying to let go, to forgive, doesn't work. Forgiveness happens naturally when you see that it has no purpose other than to strengthen a false sense of self, to keep the ego in place. Um, I think he also says the seeing is freeing. Jesus' teaching to forgive your enemies is essentially about the undoing of the one main egoic structure in the human mind. So all of that... <laughs> 
is the second or third and fourth way that the ego might be showing up in your day-to-day life and affecting you and and robbing you really of your peace the next one is huge especially for people that are moving into this way of thinking being right and making wrong complaining and fault finding and reactivity strengthen the ego's sense of boundary and separateness on which its survival depends but they also strengthen the ego in another way by giving it a feeling of superiority on which it thrives it may not be immediately apparent how complaining say about a traffic jam about politicians about the greedy wealthy or the lazy unemployed or your colleagues or ex-spouse men or women can give you a sense of superiority here's why When you complain, by implication, you are right and the person or situation you complain about or react against is wrong. And I star this right here. There is nothing that strengthens the ego more than being right. It's an identification with a mental position, a perspective, an opinion, a judgment, a story. For you to be right, of course, you need someone else to be what? wrong and so the ego loves to make wrong in order to be right in other words you need to make others wrong in order to get a stronger sense of who you are not only a person but also a situation can be made wrong through complaining and reactivity which always implies that this should not be happening being right places you in a position of imagined moral superiority in relation to the person or situation that is being judged and found wanting It is that sense of superiority the ego craves and through which it enhances itself. Now, at this point in the conversation, I think it's getting more and more obvious to you, especially if the ego concept was new, how the ego is showing up in these moments, right? To prove yourself right and to need to to prove others wrong and to be super fixated on that and to the point where you get defensive or you start throwing insults, right? Causing pain and suffering to yourself and others making yourself miserable, having these bodily reactions to the feelings inside of you based on the thoughts that you're having. It's it's clear, right? But there are some distinctions to be made here when it comes to the rightness and wrongness and how the ego is showing up because there are truths in life. There are objective facts all over the place and sometimes you will be right about something and someone will refute you. They'll say that you're wrong and you, I mean, this happens to me all the time. <laughs> I can, I can honestly say that the parenting literature that I share and advocate for is filled with objective truth. Things that are maybe uncomfortable for people due to their long time behaviorist conditioning, their, again, identifications, their egoic attachments to, and fear-based attachments to unhelpful styles of what they think is connection Um, but that's okay I don't need to be uh, worked up and offended when somebody says that's not true you're ruining society this is what's wrong with this generation of people or whatever Um, gentle parenting is the reason everyone is so horrible today right like I don't need I don't need to prove myself right and someone else wrong if someone wants to ask me objectively what is the best strategy for long-term authentic connected relationships and high self-esteem I would say 
I look to the, these resources, these experts on the subjects. That's what I've learned and that's what's been helpful for me. That's what I do with my entire platform. But I don't, I don't feel any type of way. I don't feel superior to those that don't understand the information, don't have, haven't accessed the information in a way that was easy to process for them or digestible for them um, or in a time in their life where they could process it. I've had many people come to me and say, when I first found your work, I was like so triggered by it. I was actually so offended by you. I never thought in a million years that this would apply to me. And it was just the time in my life that hearing that information was it was not easy for me to hear. I was in a difficult season of parenting or motherhood or whatever, my marriage. And so it, it, there's no reason, aside from the ego, for me to take anyone's objection personally, but to honestly use it more as an opportunity to get clarity around, okay, how can I better serve people? How can I better help them? How can I make this easier for people to process? How can I make these subjects easier to even just comprehend and be less offensive. I always say you catch more flies with honey and that's a big part of my strategy and teaching. Like I, I just want people to feel that this comes from a place of love and compassion and lightheartedness as opposed to, you know, just like severity and judgment, condemnation or criticism or whatever. It's just like those things are never helpful for anyone, especially if you want to learn something new. Anyway, all of that was just to say that there are going to be objective truths that exist, you know, and, and someone can say, no, I disagree with you. And you could go back and forth and back and forth. But for what reason, other than your ego trying to prove again and make itself bigger, make, prove that you have this self-importance? Obviously, he gives the example, Eckhart Tolle gives the example in his book, Facts, exists if you say light travels faster than sound and someone else says the opposite is the case you are obviously right and he is wrong the simple ob observation that lightning precedes thunder could confirm this so not only are you right but you know you're right is there any ego involved here possibly but not necessarily if you're simply stating what you know to be true the ego is not involved at all because there's no identification identification with what with mind and a mental position such identification, however, can easily creep in. If you find yourself saying, and this is the distinction I want you to make, believe me, I know, or why do you never believe me? Then the ego has already crept in. I'm sure you could think of a lot of other examples of how <laughs> the ego might be sneaking in. For example, if I were to say, of course, like, believe me, I, I would know, right? That it's sort of, it, it makes all these implications like that I'm the perfect parent or I have the perfect relationship with my children or I, I know everything, right? And sometimes people, due to their own ego, their own coping mechanisms and protection that they've built up for themselves, they will actually tell themselves those stories just by interpreting someone um, and something that makes them uncomfortable Again, because it makes them feel like their identity is threatened, right? My material is a perfect example, again, because people might hear it and think, she, I, the, I'm uncomfortable with this, like this definitely sounds like something that I've done or that I do or that I believe in. And she's saying, you know, something like, hey, here's how to move forward in a different direction. Well, that implies that I'm bad, that what I do is bad, that I'm a bad mom, I'm a bad parent, I'm a bad 
this, that, or the other, when in reality, like, they're the one telling that story. What I'm saying is, like, an objective truth, something I've learned about the way the brain works and develops, or the way relationships best function. Um, But when we make it about ourselves, which is what the ego does, again, to protect our self-identity that we've made up over time, we cause ourselves suffering, and we often cause other people suffering I like how he says, you know, it can easily creep in, right? I think that it is all too true that if we're not aware of this, it can creep in and we don't even notice, right? This is a hugely important thing. This is why I say that understanding your ego and becoming almost like a friend to it, shaking hands with it, being like, hello, nice to see you again, right? When they, when he shows up or she shows up, I mean, like, okay, like, that's enough now. Go back. Like, I know you're just trying to look out for me. In fact, in my course, there's also um, a new section coming up that's all about parts work. And you could look at the ego in different sections, if you will, as well, where you take a look at um, a part of your ego that needed to develop when you were five or needed to develop when you were eight or 13 or 20 based on your environment, based on trauma perhaps, or just based on your need to fit in, to survive, to maintain a happy life at the time. So you can kind of like look back, and this is part of the reparenting process as well, ego work, and say, wow, hmm, I'm really triggered in this moment, I'm really bothered, what part of me is coming to the surface? Is this like my 13-year-old self that felt like nobody could hear her and she had to be perfect all the time? Is someone trying to imply that I'm not perfect, that I am not lovable? Like, you might react very similarly to the way that you did at 13 or again 20 or eight or five whatever it is (laughs) Um, and it's really interesting process to kind of again develop awareness around those little parts of you the ego they they make up your collective ego and pain body and just become like friends with them like okay i see you again no need to be ruled and owned by them and let them run your day you are the the actor in your life again not the reactor And on this same note, when it comes to rightness and wrongness, my dad used to always tell me, Katie, I don't care if somebody's wrong. I just don't care. (laughs) And I remember being so amazed by that. Like from a very early age, this was something my dad would say. And I remember being like, how peaceful is that? Like you wouldn't have to argue with anyone because you just don't care. Like he said, I let people be wrong all the time. (laughs) And it was almost like he got personal enjoyment out of it. And I cannot wait to have my dad on the podcast so you guys can sort of be introduced to him. (laughs) Because I I do speak so highly of both of my parents, honestly, but obviously my dad has been a beacon of light for me in my life. And that's one of the things that he taught me. And that is such good evidence of being free from the ego. He had nothing to prove nothing to he didn't need to like get somebody else to affect his state of being because of their mental position on something it was just irrelevant to him and it remains irrelevant to him and he also remains one of the most wonderful people to talk to to be yourself with I always say too I read this Willie Nelson quote that said something like 
if you want to have a lot of friends, just let people be themselves. That's, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what my dad does in life. Like everybody just loves him so much, but it's because he just loves unconditionally and accepts everybody for who they are, where they're at right then and there. And it's it's a wonderful place to be, right? It's very like just free of the ego. You don't need anybody to perform for you and you're not performing for anybody either. It's wonderful. Um, And again, when it comes to rightness and wrongness, just making sure that even if you're right about something and nonviolent communication can help you with this too, that you can either let go when somebody else is just simply wrong or or like you can at least bring awareness to new ideas and perhaps say maybe I'm wrong about that it has nothing to do with me it has nothing to do with my value as a person to be wrong to have made a mistake to have not known something I find this to be so common with many of my subscribers and followers that have one-on-one consultations with me or that take my course and say I just cannot get my spouse to understand. Like they won't take the course with me. They won't listen to what you have to say. They won't read the books that I'm saying I I really think we should read together. Um, And they really just stand by their just fixate, like their fixed mindset around child rearing with very little uh, new information you know like they're just working off of what they've heard and what they've seen modeled for them and what they experienced in their own childhood um that's all ego it's just fear right it's just they're tied to the identification of what a good parent looks like and they believe like they it makes them a good person probably to be a good little boy or a little girl and do as their mommy or daddy says and listen to them and it makes them disrespectful to think differently than their parents did or do differently than their parents did it's okay right like this is just it's just the ego silly little ego (laughs) working hard to protect that person um and so what i was going to say is that you need to be able to make the distinction when when it comes up for you that you're communicating clearly and objectively that you can share your thoughts or share even objective like facts that you're learning in a way that is free of the ego, that acknowledges the other person's perspective or old conditioning or your old way of thinking yourself. This is how we kind of also can more tactically move out of being operating in an egoic space, especially when conflict arises, um, to a more objective, connected place where where we can actually see one another and see that we really all have the same basic needs and we just have the real basic needs to be connected with understood and seen and and valued now moving forward from being right and making wrong there is a conversation to be had around truth relative truth or absolute truths Moving past simple facts that you can just ask your Alexa to confirm or deny (laughs) with your spouse in the midst of a disagreement or whatever, it is unhealthy and unhelpful to have this sort of ideology like I am right and you are wrong and the need, that egoic need to confirm that to yourself and to others. And Eckhart goes further to say this is dangerous not just in personal relationships, but as well as interactions between nations, 
tribes, religions, and so on. Eckhart moves into the conversation of religious history and how creating this otherness and these dynamics of we are good and you're bad actually lead to a lot of wrongdoing, evil, insanity. I mean, killing, torturing of others all because of the separation of the otherness of them, right? You're wrong and we're right. We know the truth and you need to suffer because you're wrong. For me personally, and I know this is sort of like a little tangent, but I just find it so interesting that the ego can work in such an extreme way where we get so caught up in our identifications that we actually lose sight of what our real mission even is. We get so caught up in it that we can, again, do things that are just inhumane, unethical, and devastating where we can cause suffering in ourselves and in other people so it's important to note here again does this come up for you are you using your personal beliefs and convictions in service of the ego or in service of the truth and again this is subjective to you obviously but i think just noticing okay i think even bringing it back to what i just said like you forgetting your mission understanding like what is it what is your goal what is it going to bring you closer to right to to create this division this wrongness and rightness and uh superiority complex i think it's it's an important thing to reflect on and although it can be painful and make me even (laughs) cringe to bring it up in an episode because i anticipate uh judgments and criticism and all kinds of I don't know, people making assumptions about me and where I stand. Like, it's so, again, just silly. It's just the ego at work. And it's important to ask yourself, okay, am I using these, these the beliefs that I have for in service of the truth or in service of the ego? Do I need them to make myself feel more important, better, um, to have this sort of superiority complex? And moving forward from that, how can I make a shift if that's the case? And what is what is my mission? What is my goal? And staying true to that as opposed to, again, staying true to the ego and allowing it to create division and suffering for you and for other people. Sort of in alignment with the rightness and making wrong and relative truth or absolute truths comes the next aspect of the ego showing up in you and that is misperceiving the ego as the identity of other people that you interact with or that you love people that you spend a lot of time with in your life this can show up all the time in especially romantic partnerships and especially also in the child uh, parent child relationship dynamic where our ego and our our children's egos, our spouse's egos, um, are misinterpreted as basically a character flaw on our end. We see their protective coping mechanisms come up and we, instead of trying to deeply understand and become curious about what the behavior is communicating, what, what are we actually seeing below the surface, we slap a label on them in terms of characterization. Oh, they're just a bad person. They're just a self-centered, selfish, awful person, 
brat, spoiled, lazy, incompetent, right? We have a slew of negative labels that we like to slam onto people at our earliest convenience when things get uncomfortable and when the ego is present, as opposed to simply observing the ego in the other. I like this quote from Eckhart that says, The particular egoic patterns that you react to most strongly in others and misperceive as their identity tend to be the same patterns that are also in you, but that you are unable or unwilling to detect within yourself. In that sense, you have much to learn from your enemies. This one is a really hard thing to process. I mean, for me too, Like, I feel like the first time I read this, I thought... No. (laughs) And now every day when I do have moments where I want to like, you know, uh, criticize or condemn or make, make a judgment about someone in my life, be it my kids or my husband or my, any, it could be anybody that I have an interaction with that I don't like, that feels uncomfortable for me, that makes me feel insecure really, Um, then all of a sudden I am like, wait, what am I reacting to? How is that something that I could find in myself? And am I able and willing to be honest with myself and observe it in myself (laughs) and and ask myself, "Hmm, how is that showing up for me? How is that showing up for my partner? How is that showing up for my children? Am I doing the exact same thing? I actually just had someone ask me, is it easier to raise from a respectful conscious perspective like has it been easier or harder to raise a child with a different personality than your first um because I've made it pretty like I've I've been very open with the fact that my children are very different just like everyone's children everyone has just a different beautiful little soul in there and um my son is just like um I think naturally prone to peace being in a peaceful state and my my daughter likes to shake things up a little bit <laughs> even at one almost like from birth it was kind of that way and i i was like of course it's of course it's harder <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> like of course but that's exactly what god like I, in my again this is my opinion this is my podcast so i can say what i'm thinking right now and maybe that will change one day but for right now this is what i think i think god is like he'll give you what you are ready for to crack you wide open and to help you grow and to evolve and to you know make the adjustments that you need to make in that season of your life for me that required me to finally just like surrender to slow down to embrace um some like something that is different you know i think like god also gives you like what you can handle in terms of your capacity for love and for just availability and i think that this is the same kind of thing you know when when it in terms of the conversation of the ego and sensing that you're reacting strongly to things that are in yourself i told the person that was asking me i hope you're listening out there but um you know oftentimes when we're being reactive to something in our children that we think is just you know, not lovable, right? We're responding to it in that way, at least. It's it's because 
it's something that we can find within ourselves as well that's never been accepted, that was never okay, that was not lovable by our own caregivers. Again, this is parts work, reparenting work. It's also ego work. This is the foundation for it all. So notice what you react to in others and take a step back and say, hmm, how does this exist within me? How does this show up in my everyday behaviors and habits? That's a tough one. And again, it requires a lot of vulnerability and a lot of honesty. And sometimes it's just hard. And sometimes it's like, no, I don't I don't think so. Maybe I'm responding this way. Like I've gotten to the point too where I've been like, I think I'm responding to this way because I'm aware of the ego in some, someone else. And I, I wish I could get to the bottom of it with them. Like I want them to be able to be vulnerable with me, honest with me. I, I want them to be able to let go and and not be defensive, not be passive aggressive, right? Like I'm just like more tired. It's not that I'm reacting (laughs) to it. I'm more like, oh gosh, like I just wish I could uncover all of those insecurity. Like I wish I could just peel back the layers so that we could really connect. I like want to really know the person. And sometimes that's, that's a completely different level of, I guess, like a different type of feeling stunted or frustrated it's not really necessarily reactive and speaking of reacting again the next piece of this is the question do you want peace or drama and you want peace Eckhart here says there is no one who does not want peace yet there's something else in you that wants the drama wants the conflict you may not be able to feel it at this moment you may have to wait for a situation or even just a thought that triggers a reaction in you someone accusing you of this or that not acknowledging you encroaching on your territory questioning the way you do things an argument about money can you then feel the enormous surge of force moving through you the fear perhaps being masked by anger or hostility, can you hear your own voice becoming harsh or shrill or louder and a few octaves lower? (laughs) Can you be aware of your mind racing to defend its position, justify, attack, blame, in other words, can you awaken at that moment of unconsciousness? Can you feel that there is something in you that is at war, something that feels threatened and wants to survive at all costs, that needs the drama in order to assert its identity as the victorious character within the theatrical production? Can you feel that there is something in you that would rather be right than at peace? I want to go back to the example I gave earlier about social media These are important questions to ask yourself. Are are you looking for an opportunity for drama? Are you reading the comment sections? (laughs) Are you looking for other people to prove your rightness to that stated your opinion out loud in bold letters? Are you looking for to follow people that point out all the wrongness of some other group of people? Oh, look how terrible they are. Look how disgusting. Look how repulsive. Look how offensive. Look how offended we all are. That is simply the ego. This is just a way for, you know, you to assert your identity, as he says. The victorious character. Who's winning? Nobody is winning when we're operating here. (laughs) It is just an ongoing cycle of a lack of presence, a lack of awareness, and hyperfixation on this false sense of identity. But beyond that is your actual true identity when we're not in survival mode we're out of this illusion right that 
of, of what you think you are, who you think you are, then your essence can come forward. Then you can experience peace. You, you don't have, like my dad, you know, you don't have to prove it to anybody. You don't have to prove who you are, what you are. You don't have to prove you're right, they're wrong. You don't have to, you don't live for the drama, okay? And you might not even think you're doing it, but you might be like, oh my gosh, I, I'm actually doing that. That's the ego at work. It's so interesting too that I mentioned deny thyself earlier, but here he mentions that. Eckhart Tolle says, and when Jesus said deny thyself, what he meant was negate and thus undo the illusion of self. If the self, ego, were truly who I am, it would be absurd to deny it. But it's not who you are. What remains, and this is one of my favorite things written in this book, what remains when we get rid of the ego is the light of consciousness in which perceptions, experiences, thoughts, and feelings come and go. That is being. And that is the deeper, true I. When I know myself is that whatever happens in my life is no longer absolute, but only of relative importance. I honor it, but it loses its absolute seriousness, its heaviness. I, I think this is so beautiful to actually embody. And again, it, the word that always comes to mind is peace. Like, oh, I can let go. And this is what I often advocate to for parents as well. Like, let go of this need for control, this need, this fear-based conditioning that your children, you need to mold and shape them to be exactly this certain type of person, this exact type of way all the time, expecting things that are just developmentally inappropriate for them, like the things that don't even make sense. But out of fear, out of the ego, we, we hold tightly, we grip so tightly, it's so serious. They need to respect me, right? And, and we lose sight of the very opportunity for connection, for influence, for trust, for unconditional love. And for, he continues to say, can I sense my essential beingness, the I am in the background of my life at all times? To be more accurate, can I sense the I am that I am at this moment? Can I sense my essential identity as consciousness itself? Or am I losing myself in what happens? losing myself in the mind, losing myself in the world. This, I think, is the, again, ultimate foundation for peace, for awareness, and for a more conscious lifestyle, especially as a parent. In closing for this episode, I really want you to spend some time and reflect. And I don't mean time like right now. I mean moving forward in your day, whenever you're listening to this. I want you to sort of step outside of your body and start to observe the way that you respond. Observe the way you react to... Yeah, throw me. Observe, right? Observe the way you respond. Notice your thoughts. Notice your thought patterns. Remind yourself that you're the awareness of those thoughts. You are the thinker of them. You are not your thoughts. 80% of thoughts are negative and 95% of them on average are repetitive. They're redundant. 
negative and redundant. What does that sound like to me? The ego at play, trying so hard to protect this identity that you have cultivated over years and years of time, trying to protect yourself, trying to protect the sense of self, the sense of self-importance, but it's not helping you, it's not serving you, and it's definitely not going to be serving your children as you instill those same negative and redundant thought patterns into them, especially out of fear. So I want you to notice all of those thoughts, but especially when you interact with people that you love and especially when you interact with people that you find particularly triggering. If you have a ruptured relationship with a parent of your own or one of your children is just, you feel testing you time and time again, testing your love, testing your availability, testing your patience, ask yourself, those important questions. Why does this bother me? Where where from did these thoughts of frustration, aggravation, irritability come from? Why do I wish my child were different? Why do I wish this behavior was different? What is developmentally normal? What is a developmentally normal expectation to have? How is that different from my own experience as a child? What was the expectation for me? Is that where this is coming from? Do I have insecurities around my child not being good, lovable, acceptable, worthy? Do I have fear that I am not doing a good job as a parent, so I am not lovable, worthy, acceptable, right? Get to the root of your deep-rooted insecurities and build awareness every single day. I want this to be a daily practice for you so that you can simply notice the thoughts And build that awareness that is going to create inner peace that's going to lead to outer peace for you, for your family, especially your children. Because what we model for them is what they truly learn. My friend says, more is caught than taught. So as we learn to practice this, as we learn to understand ourselves, understand and befriend our ego, we free ourselves from the gravitas, the seriousness, the weight of living with it, especially living with it in an unaware state, in an unconscious state where it's just running the show and we really have no idea why we respond the way that we respond and react the way that we react. As well as consume the things that we consume, look for things to be wrong, look for things to complain about, look for things to be bothered by. And the more and more time you spend noticing these thought patterns, building awareness around your negative and redundant thought patterns, the easier it's going to get to reprogram your subconscious mind, to build awareness around your ego, to notice it, to make light of it, and to get into the mindset shift that I believe is the foundation for not just a more conscious life and more conscious relationships as a parent, as a spouse, but also just a happier, more enjoyable life. And that is playfulness, deep curiosity about people, about the world around you, about yourself. This deep curiosity is the opposite of fear. When we can be curious, when we can ask questions without judgment, without fear that some, something about us is threatened, we open ourselves up to a complete sense of freedom, right? Where we, we can relax, <laughs> and simply enjoy and in this state we can actually learn better understand ourselves better understand each other better connect more deeply communicate more clearly and again just live a better more fulfilling life spending your time on the things you want to be spending your time on 
focusing your thoughts on the things you want to be focusing on, bringing to life the joy and the light that you were born to provide. And that's what I want for every single person listening and every person that will listen in the years to come to all the work that I share. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of this episode. I am so grateful for you to take the time to be here with me, listen to this, process this material, and try to stay out of your ego the whole time. (laughs) If you did, congratulations. (laughs) That's amazing work. Um, But if you didn't, also amazing. You made it to the end, at least which is really impressive and I have two more episodes on this subject coming next week so look out for those we're going to talk about role playing in the ego more ways that it's showing up in your day-to-day living I can't wait to hear from all of you in terms of how how you start to reflect on this the awareness that you're going to start to build throughout this week and the coming weeks and months and years of your life it is so transformative to start to develop this deeper awareness especially if you have children if you're a spouse (laughs) Um, but anyway we're going to talk about the ego and role playing we're going to talk about the pain body specifically and i love doing this sort of book club style podcast episodes i've done them in other formats in the past especially like instagram live but i think the podcast is a great way to bring them to you so look forward to more of those and in the meantime obviously check out my course at www.themellowmama.org some really big changes to come over there very shortly as well as my youtube channel the mellow mama and of course instagram tiktok follow me there for more short form videos and other content that's more like lifestyle based so you can see conscious parenting and living in real time i am so grateful for every single one of you listening thank you so much and i will see you on the next one